Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Red-Headed Preacher. This Sunday, it's March 1st, and the scriptures are going to be read by Rich Schneider, one of our former church presidents, sings in the choir. He made a switch with someone, so he'll be reading our passages today, which are from the lectionary for the first Sunday in Lent. The title of the message is Changing the Narrative. And in the sermon, I'll be really keying mostly out of the Romans 5 passage from St. Paul. Uh, I don't generally preach out of that, but I am today. And uh, it's also grounded in Jesus facing off with the devil and the temptations in the wilderness. And it also all three of the passages are involved. So last week I offered a prayer to get us going. Um, after some words of intro, I got some positive feedback for that. So please allow me to offer this again. Wherever you are, if you have the chance to uh, center yourself for just a moment, uh, if you're driving, then keep driving. <laughs> Merciful God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to listen to some scripture, to hear an unpacking of it, and we ask that you would bless this time to the upbuilding of our faith and the strengthening of our spirits. In the name of Christ, the Word made flesh, we ask this. Amen. And now we'll continue, beginning with Rich Schneider and the readings for Changing the Narrative. Our first reading is from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, and then verses 1 through 7 of chapter 3. God has created Adam and the Garden of Eden and joins them together. Eve was made in the later verses of chapter 2 that we do not hear today, but she is present in what we hear of chapter 3. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall die. And now, chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, 
And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This ends the reading from Genesis. Our epistle lesson is Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 18, not 19. Using almost legend-sounding terms, the Apostle Paul, uh, I'm sorry, using almost legal-sounding terms, the Apostle Paul talks about how sin condemns us and how Jesus saves us. In the second part of this reading, you will hear references to what happened in our Genesis reading. This is not the easiest passage to keep listening to, so hang in there. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgression of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many. And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If, because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Here ends the reading from Romans. Our worship continues with an anthem. King of the Gospel lesson. Today it is Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. A story we usually hear on the first Sunday in Lent. Jesus has just been baptized in the River Jordan and must now undergo this before he begins his public ministry. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This ends the reading from Matthew and our scriptures for today's service. As we continue to think about what we have heard, may God give us a wise and life-giving understanding of this God's holy word. Changing the narrative. What is that? To me, it means the arc of the story, the story of someone's life, is altered. It means your life changes direction, or, on a larger scale, the direction or understandings of or values of a person, a family, a church, or even societal changes. Changes in the story can be big, like an archetype, or small, like where you live, because you've moved. Changing the narrative is one of the themes of the Bible. A founding narrative of this nation, you could say, occurred in 1775 when shots were fired and men died at Lexington and Concord, and in 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was adopted and spread. Another narrative of this nation is slavery, with the racism behind it and after it. Skokie, the narrative of Skokie changed after World War II when Jewish refugees, by the tens of thousands perhaps, made their homes here. The narrative of the world changed with the Great Depression, World War II. And that of America changed also with the elections of FDR, Ronald Reagan, the attacks of September 11th, along with the Black Lives Matter and Me Too movements. My narrative changed when my father died, when I asked Christ into my heart, when I sensed a call to ordained ministry and came to Chicago from the Twin Cities in response to the call. Your narratives changed when you got married, if you did, if you had kids, if you changed your career or had a spiritual experience which changed your life's values or direction or both. St. Peter's United Church of Christ changed its narrative with its building projects over the 150 plus years, with its evangelical and reformed synod uniting with my congregational Christian church to create the UCC, with the calls of its various pastors and the vote to adopt our open and affirming covenant. In our personal and national lives of 2020, we face things never imagined years ago. The possibility of Social Security and Medicare becoming insolvent in the next day, decade or two. 
the unbowed and unshushed escalation of hate speech and bullying in person and online, the coronavirus. Kids at the southern border still in cages. The security of elections or not. The frequency and violence of mass shootings, especially at schools. The difficulty sometimes of of having policy differences between a family or friends while maintaining friendship or even civility. The escalation of climate change, etc. And beneath some of these things that we didn't really uh, see coming sometime in the past, beneath some of these underlie powerful dynamics like anger, fear, skepticism, feeling betrayed, and desperation. Well, speaking more immediately, I was affected by one guy from Russia or Ukraine talking on TV, and I'm not really sure who it was, talking about how bribery and corruption are rampant over there. It's standard operating procedure between peoples, businesses, and countries. It's why the current Ukrainian president was up against a hard place when he had been elected on a strong anti-corruption platform and was trying to maintain it, to grow it in office. Doing illegal stuff that only helped the powerful was just the way it was, and in the lots of places still is, done. That's foreign to me, which is why it made an impact. It's just the way, this way things are done. I'm not used to that. Well, some things I mentioned are not connected to morality. They just are, like the coronavirus and climate change before we really were woke to its reality. These are all part, I would suggest, they're all part of our current narrative, the story we're living out. I'm not saying our narrative has no positives and stuff to celebrate. I'm not saying that. In this short time, I want to share encouragement with you. The encouragement to share a new narrative because Christ Jesus has changed the archetypal nature of humanity. And in so doing, he changes the narrative of how you and I try to live our lives under his lordship. Let's go to Genesis. Adam and Eve give us an, what's the phrase somebody might read in a book or something, an archetypal narrative of humanity par excellence. What they did and did not do set the narrative of humankind in motion, at least from a Bible-based way of looking at things. And we know what happened. We heard the story. After all God did and was doing for them, they were persuaded by a liar to break the one command God had strictly ordered them to keep. You know, there are multiple sermons in that alone. With this temptation and fall, it's been said that humanity's original and pure relationship with our Creator was spoiled. As archetypes, this alienation was not just between those two and God, but between all of us who came after them and God. God still cared for them, but the relationship was never the same. So Paul could write in Romans 
By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. The many meaning all of us. Sin came into the world through Adam, or Ish and Isha, which is woman in Hebrew. Sin came into the world through Adam by this fall in the garden, this choice of pride that altered the narrative God wanted. So Paul continues to unpack it from Paul's perspective. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned, so death is the result of sin. Adam sinned by that choice in the garden, and death was the consequence. A brings B. And since we all inherit this sinful estate, what theologians call original sin, we all inherit death. That's the overarching theological narrative Paul sees in Genesis. As one might say, that is the bad news. Whether one believes in the doctrine of original sin or not, I think that human history bears ample witness to the realities sin and death have and are. If we did not need saving from our sins, why did the angel tell Joseph that the child Mary will give birth to a child who shall save his people from their sins? And Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, said his newborn son would be the prophet of the Most High, who would, quote, give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins. And Jesus himself knew he had to withstand the temptations from the devil in order to be the son and servant Messiah that God's baptismal affirmation implied he would be and said he was. There could be no deviation in this interplay between Jesus and and the devil, no deviation of Jesus from the plan, or sin and death would not be dealt with with this penultimate blow. The narrative wouldn't be changed. Talk about pressure if you're Jesus. So Paul does present Jesus as the second archetype, to use that word again. My study Bible refers to Adam and Christ as analogy and contrast. Adam and Eve brought sin into the world by their disobedience, their lack of trust in what God had told them, choosing to believe what the serpent said and thinking, okay, I think we know better, which is where pride comes in. You know, and as I thought, you know, they brought sin into the world by their disobedience. Perhaps one of the not very long later results of that was, as Bruce Springsteen sang, Adam raised a cain. It's quite a song if you've never heard it. Um, In faith, one can see the prevalence of corruption as the current way of doing business, at least in some countries, and in our history of slavery and Jim Crow, old and new, and the boldness of hate speech and the fears behind it, the greed that animates so much of the income inequality and more as an expression, manifestation, of the narrative of disobedience towards the gifts of God, the grace of God, and the call of God. Jesus gets the chance to change the narrative. First, he had to prove that he would not fall for the words of the liar, like Adam and Eve did. His faith in God's words to him at the baptism, which immediately preceded this trip to the desert, 
His trust in his faith had to be complete. His trust in the love of God and the providence of God and the power of God had to be absolute. His pursuit of the kind of Messiah that God beckoned Jesus to be could not be deterred. So Jesus took these tests. They took a long time. He was hungry or famished. He was weakened. He was without friends and family for consultation. That's what a wilderness experience is like. It's terrible to break you down before you find strengths you didn't know you had, perhaps. But Jesus did it. He went through it, and he aced the test, if you wanted to call it a test. He did it. And because he emerged successful with his faith and obedience intact, Jesus was equipped to start and fulfill his ministry. We needed that then and now. Paul lets us know that Jesus changed the Adam narrative. The trespass of Adam was countered with the gift of grace. As the grand apostle tells us, the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift and the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. If because of the one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's something easy to miss there. It was brought to my attention when I was preparing for this. Just as sin exercised dominion, control. Just as sin exercised dominion in death, because sin brought death to all the world, so grace might also exercise dominion, control. Through justification, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace now gets to have dominion. That's changing the narrative. Jesus changed the narrative, spun since the garden. One man, Adam's or Adam's disobedience, was overturned in the act of one man, Jesus' obedience. Jesus transforms Adam, at least for those who receive the change of the narrative and the change of the archetype in themselves. It was of the church, Paul wrote, when he said, if because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely... Will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life? So Paul is writing to the church about the church. Jesus changed the narrative. And you and I and the churches around the world get to live it out in this world where we still confront bullying and bribery and immigrant kids in cages, and people struggling to stay graceful with those they disagree with. Jesus changed the narrative. And you and I and Christ's church get to live it out to the best of our ability. 
When when we face bigotry or hate speech or fear, income inequality and other demonstrations of self-centeredness, violence or ignorance, because we are told that more than sin and death exercised dominion over us before, in faith, Paul says, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. That's fantastic. Exercising dominion, a kind of control, that's what you and I and the churches can do, no, by the grace of God, through that one man, that fully human, fully divine Jesus. We, and all of good faith and goodwill, can persevere, can persevere in loving our neighbors as ourselves in loving and praying for enemies and not quitting. Even though we don't get we may not get anything out of it, we may get abuse because of it. We persevere because there's another archetype in us. With others, we show by how we live and how we do not live that love and justice and honesty, humility and patience and forgiveness and obedient faith and hope are the real powers in this blessedly changed narrative. We are given the power of the good news to persevere because Jesus changed the narrative. It's the arc of the story. It's different, radically different. And that's good news. Amen. That's a wrap for this week's edition of the Red-Headed Preacher podcast. I'm Richard Lanford, the Red-Headed Preacher. This uh, sermon was preached on Sunday, March 1st, first Sunday in Lent. Next Sunday, March 8th, we will have a baptism in worship. So the homily, I'm sure, will uh, touch on that, if not emphasize baptism. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in whenever and wherever you are, and I wish you God's blessings on the week that is ahead and also upon you and your loved ones for healing and for guidance, for strength and patience, for the ability to shine the light, even if a lot of things around you are very shadowy, even scary. Until then... God be with you. Bye.